transition and segue. All right, so here's where we've been. You know, last week I started this series called Rest, which is, is really a picture that kind of, as much of my teaching and preaching does, grows out of my own issues. So everything that you end up kind of hearing on some level is really what God is dealing with and doing in me. I mean, if it's God's not moving in me and dealing with me, then and you're probably not going to hear it. I mean, it's, it's just always sort of an outpouring of my own learnings and struggles and wrestlings with the Lord. And, and this little series is no different. I mean, I'm not standing up here trying to lecture everybody on what they need to do. I'm actually letting God preach to my heart, which is usually how this thing works. And I this whole series, this little four-week series was really born out of a situation where one night a few weeks ago I looked at Meredith and we had been going, we had like our third activity for the evening, it was, the kids were crazy and we just got them in bed and we were just worn out, I mean just so tired and not just like physically long day tired but like just emotionally burdened. I mean we had some struggles that we were trying to deal with in our financial world and in our other parts of our world and it was just these pressures we were carrying and, and life was so busy and it just felt like we were having a really hard time breathing. Like as soon as we got our, our head above water, it was like someone just sort of dunked you down again. And I looked at her and I just thought to myself, I said, you know, there's something so wrong with this picture. This picture of just being weary and worn out and tired and burdened. And I just thought, God, I mean, so many of us live here as Christians, and even as people, we just live here. We live in a place where there's no rest, and we are always longing for something else. We're longing for that vacation, that break, that time when, you know, this happens or that happens, and we'll finally be free of whatever, only to find out that as soon as we get past whatever that is, there's five more things just like it. Just when we get over that one huge hurdle in life, there's, there's five more down the road, or just when we clear that one financial obstacle, there's, a, you know, the, the dryer breaks, the refrigerator explodes, or whatever. And, and life just, just you know, sacks you, and it just feels like I can never catch my breath, and rest is not something um, that I have. And I really started thinking about in my own life this idea of rest. I really started wrestling with this question, because most of us don't know what to do with it. We don't really know how to, how to live in it, much less have a life that's sort of organized by rest. And so last week we began this process by saying, rest is first and foremost spiritual. Most of us think of rest as a physical category. If I can just get through the next three days, then I will take a break and I will be able to rest. If I can just graduate from school, from, from this degree plan, then I will have a chance to rest. If I can just get the kids out of school for the summer, then I will be able to rest. If I can just do this, I will give myself you know, the, the, the gift of being able to just start reading this book and not focusing on this project or, or whatever. And rest is always something that just means doing less. I will have that moment to do less. But really all that is is a break, and breaks always have an end. But true rest is spiritual. It has nothing to do with actually doing less. True rest means finding rest for your soul. And last week we explored these ideas by saying it's Jesus who invites us to find rest. It's Jesus who then provides rest. And rest really means submission. We talked about the idea of, of living under this yoke of Christ, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we explored that true rest means submission. It doesn't actually mean being free from everything in the world. It means taking on and being, having a submitted life to Christ. And we really explored this idea of finding rest for your soul. Soul. I mean soul rest. Well, 
once we recognize that rest is spiritual, we really have to, what I believe, and I'm sure the other experts believe there's other things, but I believe there's three things we have to deal with. And I believe we have to deal with trust, okay, I believe we have to deal with worry, and I believe we have to deal with priorities. And so over the next three weeks, this is what we're going to do. We're going to explore those things. We recognize that, that rest, as Treb explains it and the Bible teaches it, is spiritual. It's not just about not doing things. It's about finding true rest for my soul. And in order to really grab it and live in it, I have to deal with trust. Do I really trust the God that I believe in? I mean, that's the central question. Do I really trust the God that I believe in? Next week, we're going to deal with the idea of worry, how to win the mental battle over a worrying mind. And then finally, we're going to learn and talk about how to reset our priorities on things that really matter. But this week, I want to unpack this idea of trust because it is one of these things where it is so much easier said than done. Um, And we're going to unpack it in two different places today. But let's start in the book of Mark. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Mark, chapter 4. Mark is the second of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, chapter 4, be the fourth (laughs) number in the book of Mark. So before we get there, let's, as you go ahead and find it and locate it, let's take a second and just pray together. Lord, we thank you that, um, well, we thank you that you love us, first and foremost, and that we are undeserving of your grace and your love. But God, we thank you that you care for us and you desire a relationship with us. And God, we just ask that you would do some amazing things in us this morning. Lord, prepare our hearts to meet with you. And God, I, I want to go ahead and ask that whatever it is we're struggling with today, Whatever kind of issue, um, whatever kind of trust issue, I want you to go ahead and begin to bring those up in our lives. Sometimes we sit here at church and we suppress all the things that we struggle with and we clap and say, yay, good message, good music, but we, we don't deal with the things that we know we need to deal with. And so God, I want to ask that you begin to bring those things up even as we sit here. Just take a second, I just want you to think of those things that are sort of plaguing you. Those issues that you know are are such a burden on your heart and life, the things that you know you don't have rest from, maybe they're trust issues. I just want you to to deal with them and and bring them up and say, God, what am I really having a hard time trusting you with? And be honest, God already knows. You're not going to surprise him. Just bring those things up to the surface. And take a moment and just ask God to show you very clearly what those wrestles are, what those struggles are. Take a second and just pray for someone beside you. Just pray that God would uh, reveal something to them powerful this morning. Just pray that God would move in their life. God, we ask that you would do something powerful when you speak to us. Move in us and convict us, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to deal with some of these things this morning, and so we're just going to have to get ready because oftentimes we want to come to church to be entertained and not have to deal with the things that God is really convicting and challenging us about, but every time we open God's Word, we have to deal with the truth that it reveals. And so don't run from it today. Every single one of us has got trust issues. So let's go face-to-face with the Lord and lay them out there and see what God doesn't show us and teach us. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. We're going to look in two different places, but I want to start here. Verse 35, that day when when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along as he was in the boat, and there were so many, there were other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped, and Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. 
And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So our event today takes place at the end of a really sort of lengthy teaching session that Jesus was doing. And as often happens, when Jesus began to teach, the crowds would get huge. And they would have with them the sick and the lame and the hurting. And they would be bringing all these people to meet Jesus, to see him, to, to have them touch him, to just listen to his words. And, and Jesus was teaching this huge crowd. And it says before Matthew or Mark 4, he was teaching on things like faith and the kingdom of God and talking about parables. Lengthy teaching all day long. And it sometimes happened, the crowds got so large that Jesus actually went out and he got in a boat. And he stood on the boat on the side of the lake and the lake kind of funneled up so it made this natural amphitheater and just hundreds and hundreds of people would line the shore. And Jesus stood out in this boat and he taught them all day long. And the text says that as evening came, right, Jesus looks at his disciples who were all kind of in the boat with him and he says, let's go over to the other side. I mean, they were already in the boat and the text says that's exactly what they did. And there were other boats with them and they just sort of turned around and began to row the boat across the other side of the lake. Because if Jesus didn't do that, he would have no time of solitude. The moment he stepped on the land, the crowds would press all around him. And to walk all the way around the lake, he would just be doing it with the throngs of people, literally hundreds and hundreds of people. So he says, listen, let's just go to the other side. I'm done teaching for the day. It's been a long day. Let's go. So the disciples turn the boat around and they begin to sail. And it says that a, a furious squall, and I'm sure squall is not a word that you use very often in your, like, your normal language, but it, it kind of gives this implication of this is not just sort of a storm. It's like sudden and it's powerful. And we're used to these things happening here in Oklahoma, and these sudden, powerful kind of storms that come up out of the middle of seemingly nowhere, and they are just big and they're raging and it says that this squall came up which wasn't uncommon at all on the on the sea of galilee because they had some high mountains on one side and you know i did take meteorology in college so when the the clouds come over it rains i think that's how that works and so i took that in geology rocks for jocks though i didn't take the hard geology i took the one with all the football players it was awesome but so i'm a meteorologist and the clouds came over and it rained and the storm came and the winds blew and it was a squall and that's a technical definition, so you can look it up. So a squall came up, and it says that the waves began, began to break over the boat. Now, that's not a good thing. If you're a, if you're a boater in those days, it wasn't like they just kind of roll off. Boats began to fill with water. And so these, these waves were coming over the boat, and the boat was filling with water. And the disciples start to freak out. I mean, this should sound familiar. We just talked about this when we were talking about Jonah. The sailors on the ocean, the boat breaking apart. Well, this is very similar, except this was a much smaller boat. And the waves are breaking over the bow of the boat, and it's beginning to fill with water. And the disciples start freaking out. And they go to wake up Jesus. And where is Jesus? He's in the back of the boat, the stern. For all of you non-maritime people, is the back of, isn't it the back of the boat? Back of the boat, right? And he is sound asleep on a cushion. Jesus is sleeping the storm away. Now, sounds very familiar. Jonah did the same thing, kind of interesting. But nonetheless, Jesus is asleep on the back of the boat, sleeping in the storm, and the boat is filling with water. We're not talking about a 150-foot yacht. We're talking about a rowboat with like a bunch of disciples full of water, and the Son of God is asleep on a cushion. The disciples are in panic mode. And they run over to him and they're like, Jesus. So they actually say, teacher, rabbi, rabbi, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? 
says that Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and says, quiet, be still, and everything just goes calm, right? And he looks at the disciples and he says, do you still not believe? Do you still have little faith? The disciples kind of, as all this is unfolding, they look at each other and like, who is this? <laughs> who is this? I mean, there's no, 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 no surprise that they're panicked here. I mean, this was amazing. Jesus just in one little sentence and three little words quieted the, the forces of nature. The winds go calm, the sea goes to glass. And they're all left standing there going, what just happened? I mean, think about this for a moment though. Because the disciples, this wasn't the first time they'd seen a miracle. If you look at Mark chapter 4, you realize that before we get there, they'd actually seen Jesus do some pretty amazing things. He'd cast out a bunch of demons already. He's fed some people. He's healed some people. He even, well, they even watched Jesus take a man who was crippled from birth, literally couldn't walk, be lowered through the roof of a, of a house on a mat, and they had him stand up and walk out and dance to the streets. They all stood there as Jesus took a leper who had huge open lesions on his skin, and they watched Jesus touch him and heal him. They had seen Jesus do dozens and dozens of miracles. I mean, surely this was no surprise. I mean, Jesus has already done incredible things. They'd been a part of all the teaching. They've sat there in the boat just that same day and listened to Jesus talk about things like faith. Have the faith of a mustard seed. They had heard every single word. They've seen these things with their own eyes. So why the panic? I mean, really, why the panic? Well, you know, things get really different when they happen to us, don't they? I mean, when they happen to somebody else, it's great, and I believe it, and it's amazing. But when, when it happens in my life, all of a sudden it gets really, well, it gets real. And we could trust Jesus and trust God, but when things start unfolding in our own lives, it gets really chaotic. And I think the disciples aren't superheroes. I don't think they're men of perfect faith with like this sort of great understanding and this, this sort of radical walk. I mean, these are people like you and I who have put their faith in Christ and have seen him do amazing things. But when their world went from calm to chaos, all of a sudden their memory gets really, really short. And that happens with you and I. I mean, if we're real honest, it really does. And the question we've got to deal with is what happens when my world and my faith have a radical collision? I mean, seriously, what happens when my world and my faith have a radical collision. Because this is what's happening with the disciples. Their world, their boating world, their, their kind of being with Jesus and living world is having a radical collision with this guy that's sleeping on the back of a boat. I mean, here their lives are about to drown. They're about to die. The boat is about to capsize. And the God that they called themselves, they said they were believing in, the God that had made that lame man walk, the God that had healed the leper, is sleeping and we are about to die. My life and faith and my world have just had a radical collision. I mean, let's be honest. You've been there. I've been there. When the world that I live in is in radical collision with the God that's asleep in the back of my life, or so it seems. And just like the disciples who walked up to him and go, don't you care if we drown? All of us in our hearts, if we haven't said it out loud, have looked at God and said the same thing. God, I am falling apart. My marriage and my financial world or my children or whatever it is, is collapsing around me. Everything is going wrong. I mean, maybe it's not that one squall that comes out and wipes it out when you found out your wife was just diagnosed with an illness that you don't know what to do with. 
Maybe it feels like it's been a snowball of event, of event, of event, rolling downhill, and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. What you once thought you could control is now absolutely beyond everything that you know. Or maybe it just feels like there's a thousand tiny fists of fury that are just beating the tar out of your life. But every one of us has been there. When our world just kind of feels like it's collapsing, and this Jesus is sleeping on the back of the boat, and we all want to shake him and go, don't you care? I mean, seriously, don't you care? I am struggling. I am crying myself to sleep at times. I am looking at my world going, I can't pay this. I wake up one morning, I look at my husband, and I say, I don't even know you. And my world is in radical collision with my faith. And my memory gets incredibly short. Because like the disciples, you and I have seen God move. We've seen God do incredible things. We've watched him move in our own lives. We've even watched him rescue us. We've watched him deliver us. We've sung with our hands in the air, excited about all that God's doing. But when life and world come crashing together, all of a sudden I can't remember that you're the same God that heals the sick and made the lame man walk. You're the same God that provided for me last time this happened. That you're the very same God that delivered me and promised to never leave me or forsake me. And we come face to face with this question. Do I really trust the God that I believe in? And I'll be honest with you, if you really think about that question truthfully, do I really trust the God that I say I believe in? It's a messy one. Because I promise you, if I were to take all the disciples aside and I were to say, hey, Peter, do you trust Jesus? He would say, absolutely, I trust Jesus with my entire life. Hey, Matthew, do you trust Jesus? Absolutely, I trust Jesus. I left everything and I followed him. Hey, John, do you trust Jesus? Absolutely. And you know what? Every one of those guys would have been radically sincere. And if you pull me aside today and you say, Trev, do you trust Jesus? You know what? I'll look at you all and I'll say, absolutely I do. But when life and world come crashing together, all of a sudden my trust, well, it gets redefined a little bit. Do we really trust, I mean really beyond words, trust the God that we say we believe in? This is what we've got to deal with before we really find true spiritual rest. So what does trust look like? Well, there's a real famous proverb that all of us have probably heard at some point or time or another. If you want to turn there, you can. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, 6. But I'm just going to tell you if you want to just kind of follow along with me, but you can get there if you want to. But it's, it's really famous, and it's on a lot of like God's little promise cards and little Hallmark cards, but it's really powerful if you think about it. All right? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straighter. As the Hebrew really translates, he will direct your path. So trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So when I think about this idea of trust, and I think about this sort of radical collision that these disciples are having with their world. And I think about how that really manifests itself in my own life. That my world collides with my faith world all the time. Okay? I think about what does trust really mean. I mean, if I'm going to say I trust Jesus, just like the disciples said, I trust you, Jesus. Why is it so hard to live in that when the world goes crazy? When my little kind of wall that I built up becomes kind of cr- starts crumbling down? Well, I really believe it's because... We've got to deal with several of these things in that verse in Proverbs. You know, the author of Proverbs really kind of paints some really powerful pictures in that short little verse. 
the first thing he tells us about trust is that we've got to be willing to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. You know, most of us are really good at trusting God with part of our hearts. I mean, we, we talk about this thing in here all the time. We are really good at trusting God with part of our lives. The part that is easy or the part that is comfortable, the part that we're okay with. And, and sometimes our, our parts get really, really bigger and sometimes they kind of retract and they're really small. But we're really good at trusting God with part of our life. But what, the, what our Proverbs, author Proverbs is saying is he's saying, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Now heart there, when you're using it in the Hebrew, is really not referring to that thing that beats in your chest. It's referring to sort of the whole of your being. The heart is that part of that makes up who you are. So trust God with the whole of your being, with who you are. Now I don't know about you, but when I first started looking at this, I was like, yeah, I mean, that's great, and it sounds great, but God, I am really, really bad at this. Because God, when my world goes from calm to chaos, I mean, I panic, I panic. But hear me say this, trusting God with part of your heart, part of your life, is not really trust. It may feel like trust to you, but it's not. Okay? It's just not. I remember when I, I worked at camp uh, for years and years when I was in college, and I remember we were working the rappelling tower this one day, and uh, we had this kid that just didn't want to rappel, just got up there, got all harnessed in, actually took a step off the wall and just flipped out, flipped out. And you know, any of you that have done the heights thing and you have heights issues, you recognize that's a very real reality, right? And so this kid, he was, he was 12 years old or maybe he was 11, just has an absolute freak out, right? Well, we can't really get him off the wall. I mean, we kind of just have to go up there and get him. He's about four feet down, and he's just kind of dangling there, right? He's dangling there. And uh, so we're, we're, he's kind of got a place where he's got his, his little brake pushed, and so we can't just lower him down, and we can't pull him up because he's stuck. So we've got to send someone up there to get him. And so I've got this little kid on belay, and we've sent one of our other counselors up there, and he kind of comes off the wall, and he, he gets this kid, and he kind of wraps him up, and he hooks him into his own harness, and he begins to repel down with him and this kid's got his arm buried in his shoulder and he's holding on tight and then kind of this muffled scream I hear as they're going down the wall is I'm repelling I'm repelling and I thought you're not repelling he's dragging you down the wall right I mean let me have a picture of trust when we trust God just sort of part of our life it's not really trust you're not repelling you're, you're basically giving God the part of your life that's really comfortable and you're holding on to the rest. It's not trust. It's saying, God, I don't trust you enough to give you all of my life. But the psalmist says, look, if, I mean, the proverb, proverbist says, if you are going to trust God, you've got to do it with all of your heart. The question for you and I is, what part are we not giving over? I mean, golly, what is it? Second thing we've seen there is, and lean not on your own understanding. I mean, this, this is obviously very true of all things biblical, but the picture is don't lean on what you know. I mean, think about the disciples for a minute. All they knew, and a lot of these guys were fishermen, all they knew was that this storm was big, it was furious, it was a squall, and water was filling the boat. Those are not really good things as a sailor. Big storm, water in the boat, we're going to drown, and you don't care. All of my experience as a fisherman, all that I know, points to the fact that we will not make it out of here alive. So get off that cushion and help us. Don't you care if we die? All the understanding that these sailors or fishermen and disciples had that were making up this little boat pointed to the fact that there was no way out. But you see, the storm 
furious squall that was chaos was really just an opportunity for God to display his power and his protection and his provision. See, in all of our own understanding, it looked like that storm was going to be a disaster. But what was the storm? It was an opportunity for God to move. And Jesus stands up and he looks at the wind and the waves and he says, quiet, be still. And all the disciples from that point on, I promise you, were altered. They'll never forget that moment, the moment that Jesus spoke to nature and nature obeyed him. See, oftentimes we look at the situations in our own life and we panic and we go, God, I'm struggling and I'm hurting and I I don't know what to do and there's no way out. I cannot make this happen. I cannot fix this relationship, cannot fix my marriage, I cannot fix my financial world, I can't make my child unpregnant. I cannot fix the calamities that are going on around me. Everything is a loss. That's what we want to respond. That's how we want to cry out to God. That's our own understanding. But if we look at the things in our life, the storms, the chaos, those moments of radical collision, and we said, God, I don't understand, but I know this. This is a moment for you to display your glory and your splendor. Life's chaos moments, life's kind of moments of radical collision are actually moments for God to display his unbelievable power and his unbelievable splendor. So whatever you're wrestling with, whatever issue you've got going on, instead of looking at it as unsolvable, we begin to look at it as a way that God is going to demonstrate his power. Because God, my boat's full of water, and I'm going to die. You have to move. We've got to come to a place where we say, God, I see no way out. I can't do it. My paycheck doesn't get any bigger, right? I can't fix the situations in my life. I'm stressed beyond belief, and if I take on one more thing, I'm going to collapse. But God, you tell me to trust you with all my heart. And all of my heart is telling me that I can't do this. And so, Lord, I pray and I give you my life for you to show me your splendor. Now, notice what what our, our proverb author doesn't say. He doesn't say your own understanding is worthless. Because our own understanding is important. Jesus is teaching us, he's instructing us what we learn and grow and how we learn and grow as disciples is really important. He just says don't lean on it. Think about that imagery. When you lean on all you know, it will never support you, right? I mean, knowing and learning is important. Jesus gives us ways to see the world, but when we lean on it, when we say the world is coming apart and my life is collapsing and we lean on that, it will never hold up. The book of Isaiah chapter 55, God is telling Isaiah, he's saying this, he's saying my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What that means is that God's ways and God's move, God's thoughts, are bigger than all that you can come up with on your own. So don't lean on what you know and think that God is somehow limited to operate within this one little scope of your life. Jesus calmed the wind. His ways are beyond your ways. Finally, what we see in there is trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on your understanding, and acknowledge Him. All your ways acknowledge Him. And I love this last picture because it really moves us from that part of our hearts and heads to that part of our life that actually lives it. You know, I mentioned earlier that part of the problem when our lives go from calm to chaos and we have that radical collision is that our memory gets really short. We forget what God has done and where He's brought us from. Acknowledging God in all areas of our life is realizing that we are called to remember the ways that God has already moved.
to remember the way that we've seen God protect and provide for us for years and years and years, or for the way that God rescued us from whatever that one situation was. It's, it's that part of the disciples that looks at the guy asleep on the back of the boat and says, yeah, but I remember when that guy made that, that handicapped man walk. I remember when God took the struggle I was having in my life and he fixed it and he healed it and he, he mended my broken heart. I remember when, when I thought there was no way out and God's presence was with me all the time. See, acknowledging God means that our memory goes from small to just great. It means we've got to take a moment and say, God, I know that your promise was that you would never leave me or forsake me. Why do I think you're going to let me drown now? And if you were going to let me drown, you should have done it years ago, but you rescued me time and time and time again. Do you see why we've got to deal with trust before we find rest? Because until we deal with trust, we'll never find true spiritual peace. Because there's always a part of our life we can't let go of. The last part of that proverb says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean all your understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight, or He will direct your path. What he's basically saying is this. God will not let you wander around aimlessly. God is going to lower some hurdles, He's going to straighten the path, and He will lead you. He doesn't say that when you trust God, when you don't lean on your own understanding, when you acknowledge Him, God will make it easy. It just says that God will lead you, and when God leads you, your life will change. See, most of us want to say, when I finally trust in God, everything just gets easy. Even though Jesus calmed this one storm for the disciples, if you keep reading in the book of Mark, there's actually several other huge things that happen in the lives of these disciples, all the way up until some of them are even arrested for following Christ. Life doesn't get easy, but Jesus leads them and their lives are changed. See, most of us are kind of come to a place where we think this life of following Jesus is going to be riddled with hardship and sacrifice and suffering and we're just going to struggle forever. The reality is those are markers of life in general. When we follow Christ and He directs us, life becomes doable with great joy. The difficulties don't go away. But they become over, literally we can overcome them because of who we follow. The question is this morning is, are you allowing the God of the universe to direct your path? Have you truly said, God, I trust you with all my heart, my financial world, my marital world, my, my children, everything? Or am I stuck leaning on all that I know thinking there's no way that you can ever get me out of this? Maybe I just need to acknowledge you. Acknowledge that Jesus is in the back of my boat and he's sound asleep, or so it seems. But the reality is he's just waiting for a moment to display his glory and his splendor. What's your trust issue? What I'm going to do this morning as we invite our worship team to come back up and kind of close us out is I really want us to deal with these issues of trust. Because as I mentioned, a lot of times we come to church and we just want someone to say some things to us and make us feel a little better so that when we leave these doors, we go, you know what, that was all right. We don't ever really deal with the things that God is calling us to deal with. And in an hour, you'll get swept up in watching basketball games or mowing the yard or working with the kids or doing whatever. And, and this stuff will seem like it's a world away. But what I want you to do this morning is this. As we prepare to worship, is I want you to take that note card and that pen. And I want you to go ahead and deal with whatever that trust issue is. Because every one of us has got it. 
I want you to take a moment. I want you to write them down. You don't have to put their, your name on or anything like that. No one else is going to read it. I just want you to deal with it. What is it, that God, that I am wrestling with? What's my struggle point? What is it that I, I've yet to give you all my heart, kind of surrender all my heart to? And I want you to just kind of name it. Don't be afraid to put it down. I want you to name it. Go ahead and write it out there, whatever your trust issue is. Go ahead and put it on there. And then as we kind of close in worship this, this morning, what I want you to do is this. As you feel called and led and we stand together, I want you to come down here and I want you to walk forward and I want you to drop them in these baskets. No one's ever going to read them. We'll destroy them after worship. And I want you to reach in here and I want you to take one of these rocks, much like a rock that you would find on any path that you were walking in the Middle East, except for the green ones, but they were there. So you pick up one of these rocks and you exchange your trust issue for the promise of God. You drop that trust issue in the basket and you pick up this rock and you say, God, I believe that if I truly trust you with all my heart, if I truly quit leaning on what I know and I have a great memory of how you've delivered me before and you will deliver me again, you will direct my path just like this rock would come off a path that you were walking as a reminder of saying, God, I'm exchanging my lack of trust for a reminder that you are the God that calms the waves, that you are a God that heals the sick that you are a God who has redeemed me and rescued me. And then stick that somewhere, your car, your pocket, your whatever, <clears throat> as a constant reminder that if we're going to find true spiritual rest, we've got to deal with trust. Do I truly trust the God that I say I believe in? As you feel led this morning, go ahead and bring those cards down, exchange them for the truth of God. And then stand together and we'll worship the Lord. But take your moments that you need to do that to prepare to meet with Jesus.